Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot, and I will be your host for today's episode. I'm coming to you today from Blaine Lake or near Blaine Lake, Saskatchewan, um, from my home on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis. And I'm really excited about today's conversation because I have with me Dr. Sarah Abbott, who is a researcher in tree sentient relations and an associate professor at the University of Regina. And Sarah's background is, is just really diverse and, and really incredible. And I'm really excited to share her story with you all today. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much, Jenna. It's a real pleasure and an honor to be here. Um, yeah, I'm coming to you, um, yes, from Regina on Treaty 4 territory. Awesome. Thank you for, yeah, thanks for taking the time. I know summer is a busy, busy time for all and, and super grateful to, to have you here. So, um, Sarah, just to start us off, if you could just tell us a little bit about who, who you are and, and what you do and maybe a little bit about the journey that led you to, to the work that you're doing today. Sure. Okay. So yeah, as you mentioned, um, there's a lot of stuff that's emerged um, in my life. So I have a career as an independent filmmaker and I'm an associate professor at the University of Regina, as you mentioned, in the department of film. Um, I teach mostly film production and recently I've developed and been teaching a class in climate change in our faculty of media art and production that is uh, open to anybody in the university. It's a multidisciplinary class. And seven and a half years ago, I began my doctorate. It's an interdisciplinary degree in social sciences from Royal Roads University. And I was looking at the sentient relations of trees and that just finished. So I am a very fresh doctor. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh my gosh. Thank you. A lot, of, a lot of work completed still obviously always work ahead but that's a big big undertaking so congratulations thanks I forgot the second question <laughs> <laughs> no 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 I can that's all good um just maybe a little bit more about you so you shared a bit about your your education and, and what you do at the University of Regina but um you know a little bit about you and and your background and kind of what led you to to have an interest in this this area um, this area meaning trees or film or everything? Or? Yeah, everything. Like, you know, okay. one of the one of the things we always love to hear from folks is, is kind of, you know, what led them to an interest in, in sustainability broadly or, or their area of expertise. And I know that's kind of a challenging question to answer, but um, yeah, just a little bit more about your, your background. Yeah, well, um, when I did my undergrad... It was in film and drama from Queens. I was at Queens University. And somewhere along the way, I read something that 
um, talked about the dire need for us to make some changes um, in the way that we lived. Otherwise, we will be in a very um, disturbed, disturbing situation. And we are there now. But back then, um, I just was quite concerned and um, quite thinking, I can't be here. You know, I don't want to be a human impacting and destroying the planet and getting quite depressed about it. And a friend finally said, well, you're probably more impactful on the planet than off. <laughs> so that was that was helpful. I certainly um, wish I had done more in my personal life. Um, acting sustainably has always been at the fore. So um, incorporating that at least uh, subtly in my films, and now it's not so subtle. Um, it's really, yeah, it's a big thing to answer like your whole story in just a few, in a few minutes. But um, I guess, you know, I'm repeating myself here, but everything I do, I try to uh, be sustainable. And the more that we move into that, the more we find ways to be sustainable. So um, lifestyle choices, I was just thinking in preparation for the interview, how one example is, you know, I, I work on campus, I don't live on campus, so I have to get to campus. And if I had purchased a parking pass, I would want to drive more to make use of the money that I spent on that pass. So I purposefully did not buy a, per, a parking pass. So I will bike or walk or take the bus. And sometimes I drive um, if I have to, but, you know, making those kinds of decisions that shape our lives. So we force ourselves to be more sustainable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I, I know it's, it's a big it's a big question but I thank you for sharing that and and um yeah I had someone uh chat with me the other day this was in a, in a personal conversation but about how you know it can be overwhelming to feel um you know like there's so much we need to do and there's only so much each of us as individuals can do um but I think, you know, we're all kind of a part of it. And, and so taking something that you're passionate about and good, good at and, um, you know, using that to, to shape the conversation or change the conversation around sustainability and climate change and, and environmental challenges and, um, and doing what you can within, within your personal life, but then also within the things that you're passionate about. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I think there's, there's lots there and, and it helps me anyways, when I'm, you know, getting overwhelmed with all that there, there is for all of us to do um, to make a change. But um, just on, on that uh, topic, Sarah, I'm, I'm curious about, um, you know, what sustainability means to you. Um, so I, we were chatting about this before, but um, this podcast so far has been a kind of a neat opportunity to create this living definition of sustainability because it, it does mean different things to different people and in different contexts. And so, yeah, if you could just chat a bit about that term and, and how you define it and how you use that lens in your work and your life. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I think I'll pull off something that you just said, which is that we're all interconnected. We are all connected. So that is at the heart of my 
understanding and being with sustainability. And I see it as an ongoing practice and process. So practicing it all the time and learning through the practice, and then it becomes a process of learning more. Um, obviously being um, living with the least impact um, that I can as possible, um, being constantly mindful and respectful of my relationship with the earth, the climate, all beings, human and non-human who also live here and remembering that our time is short and finite you know we think we're here forever but we're not and we're borrowing not taking for the privilege of being here and what we take is not infinite so we so we must care for it in order to for it and the it is vast but in order for it to be shared um, among all beings. So again, not humans only, but non-human. And that's really come to the fore for me through my research with trees. Um, trying to change the consumerist always have to do lifestyle that we've created for ourselves and that we keep demanding of ourselves and others through many, many ways. Um, advertising is especially harsh on that one. Um, and getting to a place of uh, you know, not being able to do everything that we want to do, being uncomfortable, making sacrifices and, you know, changing our priorities um, because we just think that, you know, we're at the center and we can do whatever we want. Um, helping others, humans and non-humans, um, decentering our human selves. So becoming more and more aware there's the practice and there's the process more becoming more and more aware of um, the human centered perspective that Western systems perpetuate. So I guess those are kind of the core pieces for me and what sustainability means. Um, and it has been a really interesting journey. As I said, um, my doctorate focused on the sentience of trees. And so I'm always trying to think, well, how are they feeling? What are they receiving from us? What are they doing without us? You know, they don't need humans to interact with. And some of them have few humans to interact with, depending where they are on the planet. But some of them, um, you know, are right outside our doorways. Some of them are um, taking up the water that, you know, we flush down our toilet and goes through the sewer system. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I often think sustainability also for me is doing a trace back and a trace forward. So um, I kind of hit on this practice when I was having breakfast one morning and I was looking at my bowl of um, oatmeal with the various things that I put in it. And I started to think, okay, where do those oats come from? Um, where, what's the land, what's the water, what, are, who are the people that helped harvest and bring those oats from the land right into my, into my bowl. Um, I eat hemp seeds for good protein. Um, you know, some nuts, some raisins, um, you know, an almond milk or, um, you know, some kind of milk. And then I also was thinking, so we trace, trace back all of the processes and uh, in, in terms of how that substance was created and made, it way into, made its way into my bowl, including the bowl. And, um, you know, we talk about lowering emissions and 
it's really important to like use less, use what we have and, you know, maybe not getting so much stuff that we have to ship over. Right. But then there's also the trace forward. So um, where do the products that go down the drain end up? They end up in the, in the bodies of non-human beings. And we've Mm -hmm. seen plastic in bodies of birds and turtles, for example, a small example, but what about all those chemicals and um, you know, hair dye as a vanity product, there are many of them just drives me nuts because it's toxic chemicals that not o- that are not only going into the body of the person that's putting that stuff on their head, um, but it ends up in other human bodies and it ends up in non-human bodies through the drinking water. You know, every single thing, every single thing. And we know there's like antidepressants, birth control, um, medical and non-medical drugs like and there's so many people on the planet right so it's you got to wonder what the concentrations of of these things are in the water so i think that's a really great um personal practice to do a trace back and a trace forward of the products that we use Mm -hmm. yeah there's more i could say about that and that i would like to say but you probably have something you want to say <laughs> no that's thank you for sharing that I I haven't um I, I mean I, I I do that a lot as well but I haven't necessarily articulated it in that way in the sort of tracing backwards and then tracing forwards in in you know in something as simple as um you know a bowl of oatmeal in front of you or or a, a purchase you're about to make um you know those are th- things that I, I do as well and I think you know many of our listeners do but I love that concept of, of tracing things back and then tracing things forward and um and I think that's you know important in the way we we guide our decisions and I think about that you know in in the food that I eat all the time as a as someone who lives rurally and is fortunate to have a big garden and, and raise or grow our, our own food and, and be connected to our food. And, um, you know, even just noticing the difference in plants and, and things that are local versus, you know, I can, at this time of year, I'm, I'm hyper-conscious of the taste of a tomato because I have so many tomatoes coming from my garden and it's just, it's just night and day difference. Like it just, a tomato that I buy, which I do, I buy a tomato in, in January. Um, it, is it even a tomato? I'm not sure. It doesn't taste like what I'm eating right now in August, but, you know, just being conscious of, of those things, like you say, and, and what did it take for that to get to me? And then where is it going after me um, is, is super important. So yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate the way that you articulated that. That's um yeah, that's great. And I, I want to just jump back a little bit, Sarah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, um, well, I'm curious about a, a bunch of things that, that you mentioned, but I'm, I'm, you know, thinking about your work in, in the arts and in film. And I was talking to you about this before we hit record, but this concept of storytelling and, and sharing story and, and how we do that. And, um, you know, how we think about these things and how we share. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about some of your films and, and the projects that you've worked on. And, and you know, you mentioned about incorporating sustainability or, or those types of concepts into that work. And um, 
yeah, I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about, about your, your film and, and works of art. So. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess that my early work overall, I'm interested in, um, you know, issues of being what it means to be on the planet. Um, I was a more human centered before. So issues of being a human on the planet, and now it's broadened out to being human and non-human. Um, so my, my earlier films were uh, having, you know, looking at having faith in the unknown, um, kind of uh, realizing our own light, so to speak. Um, and I always would try to kind of just give it a title or a kind of angle that connected to um, the natural world. And I understand now more why I was doing that. Um, I'm, I mean, I knew that I was consciously wanting to keep that in people's minds. Um, yeah. And now it seems to be connecting more with my work. I don't know if that makes sense. It's more sort of hard to explain. It's a bit in ethereal there, but, um, and then I, um, I ended up uh, accepting the job here at the University of Regina and my projects switched a little bit. Um, I kind of think of, you know, I have four main projects. So I made, uh, I produced two films with my students and one of them was called Out in the Cold. And that was about the freezing deaths of First Nations men um, at the hands of Saskatoon police allegedly at the hands of Saskatoon police um, and having public conversations to talk about this. And that was actually really powerful, really powerful. You know, you talk about story um, and hearing uh, being up in Saskatoon at the Roxy theater and showing out in the cold and having the police chief and several other members of the community for a public panel discussion um, and 450 people in that theater. And some of the people, um, a lot of people sharing stories, people just wanted to talk about this. And it was really a powerful experience. And, you know, somebody spoke who had been um, directly involved, um, young um, First Nations man. And um, it's, it's, yeah, people's experiences, um, are powerful and I think that the stories that we have are what we it's, it's nothing new that I'm saying you know that this is the thing that we we trade with each other we share with each other and um you know the days of sitting around and sharing stories seems to be diminishing I mean it gets we share stories on the internet um but I'm going to actually, I was listening to Ty Asks Why on CBC this past week, and he was talking about, um, I can't remember actually what he was talking exactly about, but, um, you know, we don't necessarily notice nature and the world around us because people are on their cell phones so much. They've just got those blinders on. Um, so, yeah, okay, so to 
to sort of pull it back. So we did that again with this time last winter, which involved um, interracial relationships and um, talking circles for the potential of healing and um, intimate partner violence as well. Um, so with my work, there's always a desire to connect with um, the world around me. Um, mm -hmm. And then I was uh, key in founding MISPUN, which is the um, Indigenous Film Festival here in Regina. And then I created um, a 13-part uh, class for vulnerable youth um, called in um, Engaging Media and Indigenous Youth. And really the idea was to um, look at media literacy. And so getting back to what you were saying about sharing stories, um, what we tell each other really matters. And often, um, you know, stories that are promoting the ideology of consumerism um, is really not good. It's not harmful. It's not helpful. It's harmful. You know, oh, I got this awesome new car, you know, and it's this and this and this. And I'm so it, underneath is sort of the I'm so great because I've got this car. Well, this car is um, necessary, but it shouldn't be the main focus. The main focus should be, I think, on our experience of life. And what is now really important in our experience of life is that we are, to quote, the UN's IPCC report that came out. Um, I'm not reporting, quoting the report, but the comment on it is that this is a code red for humanity. So this needs to be part of the story that mm -hmm. we are sharing and we need to be talking about how we feel about it. It is extremely upsetting. It's paralyzingly upsetting. And we need mm -hmm. to get past that in order to get on with making a difference and not thinking that woe is me because woe is me caused this problem, yeah. <laughs> you know, and speaking of woe is me and sustainability, often we consume because we're feeling emotional about something, you know, there's emotion of a negative emotion. So we need to plug that run away from it, distract from it by buying something. And there's an immediate little high. And then the thing probably sits on a, on a shelf for a few years, maybe, maybe more, and then talk about tracing it forward. How long is this thing going to be in, in your life? And then 20 years later, you're going to have to decide, oh, do I want to get rid of this or not? And if you don't get rid of it, five years later, you're going to ask yourself the same question. So I think that we take away from um, the, the, the importance of our own lives by, by putting all these material things in there. And then it goes, you know, plastics on the planet for what, 500 years. Mm -hmm. If you eat a candy, that wrapper is on the, on the planet longer than how many generations, yeah. you know, and um, yeah. So, okay. I'll pause there. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, this is, this is so great, Sarah. I, um, so a lot of what you just said about, about your work and, and, you know, the stories and story sharing, it's interesting because I even see within my community of peers, um, you know, we're, we're often, especially in sort of the activism community, really utilizing social media to share, um, 
you know, to share sort of uh, calls to action and calls for change and those kinds of things. Um, but sometimes in those same circles, we're not necessarily having those deep conversations or important conversations in person so much anymore. And I know COVID played a role in that for sure. Um, but sort of revisiting that and, and thinking about how much more impactful um story is and and sharing is when it's not through a screen um and so yeah I think you know there's so much to unpack there and to talk about there and but and and you mentioned this as well folks not not being able to sit in nature and maybe nature is just like your walk down the sidewalk in downtown Regina with construction noises but it's still your environment and it's still um the space that you're in and and we are just so disconnected from that because of um because of our screens and because of what comes through our screens right like that that consumerism focus that advertising focus um it's unbelievable there's there's days where i spend you know more time on my computer on my phone than i want to um and at the end of the day, I might be thinking about something um, and I, you know, and I'm like, why is that a thing that I'm thinking about? Or why is that on my mind? And then you realize in some way, either right in front of your face or sort of at the side of your face, that was being shown to you all day in different forms, right? Whether it was through my computer screen or, or through my, my phone. And um, it's just, it's scary. And it's interesting how quickly if we're not aware of that or observant of that, how how easily we can be distracted from things that are important or from, as you called it, kind of experiencing our own lives. Um, and so, yeah, as you were talking, that was, yeah, something something to think about. And, and I think something in how we do this work and, and move forward is, is being conscious of that and the stories that are shared through a screen versus how we interact and share stories in other settings and um, especially that in-person setting that it's just very different. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of work to be um, a responsible human on the planet. Yeah, it is. It is a ton of work. Um, and that's another reason probably why that personal, that that different kind of interaction um, with human beings and non-human beings is so important to how we make better decisions and be better people is if we don't have that, it's very easy to, you know, not even be sure why you're thinking about something or maybe not even be sure why you purchased something or why you made a particular decision. And so, yeah, it is hard work and um, there's a lot to unpack there. And on on that subject, uh, Sarah, you know, just to bring things back to, um, you know, maybe a, a, a more optimistic light, you know, in that, I think a lot of us can get really discouraged and, and overwhelmed. And um, uh, you use that term kind of, uh, you know, it can debilitate or almost, um, you know, freeze you from, from acting or moving forward. I'm curious about, about yourself. And I know, you know, a lot of your work, um, I'm sure can be very heavy in this space. And I'm wondering, you know, where do you get your inspiration from, or, or where do you, you know, what, what keeps you, you motivated or, or, or moving forward? Um, I know a lot of our listeners are kind of often looking for, for some thoughts or advice on sort of how to stay um, engaged and, and passionate about this stuff. So. 
Yeah, it is really, it, it can be super depressing. And there's, you know, moments where I am pretty low about it. Um, and I guess, you know, the, our human spirit, I think can, can lift it up. Our human spirit is incredibly strong. Um, just a few bunch of things are coming to mind. Um, I think we're at a point now where we have to move into accepting that we're in for very rough times, very, very rough. Um, quoting Daniel Wall here when he said that, you know, we're moving into a time where it's, it'll be like a species level rite of passage. And when I heard him say this, he said 30, 40 years, but, you know, we've kind of reached that tipping point and um, we're really starting to see it now. Um, I think it's important to talk about it. And I think it's important because it, when we're faced with our own death, then it makes us more alive in our lives. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you imagine that tomorrow, I'll say we, if I, if we imagine that tomorrow we're going to die, mm -hmm. what are we going to do today? Totally. Mm -hmm. You know, and that in that little space, it go through that little space and there is an immense amount of hope. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if everybody was like thinking that at the same time, I really think we are, we've bunged ourselves up in this system of a society that keeps us working and consuming so fast all the time. We're all stressed out. It's ridiculous the way that we're living and it's distracting us from what we're doing to the planet in the process you know, we can't slow down a lot of us because we're in that um, you have to do this in order for that to happen. And when that happens, you have to do this. And if we could all just collectively step back and refocus, then maybe we can like, okay, let's not do that. We're going to do it this way. Um, I'm also thinking about Polly Higgins, who was um, a lawyer in the UK, who was at the forefront of arguing for the rights of the environment. And she passed away relatively recently, I think a couple of years ago. I was actually at a conference um, where a lot of people knew her when she was when she passed away. So, um, of course, that was very moving. And I heard someone talk about how she was, she was so passionate and she was working so hard against so many people who were just like, no, no, no. Arrogantly, ignorantly saying, no, you know, we think we know it all, but there's so much arrogance and ignorance. And she apparently would go into these like two weeks, two week sessions of deep, dark depression, but she would come out the other side and she would keep fighting. You know, it's a gift for us to be on this planet. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and remembering, sorry, I just want to say remembering the gift, remembering the relationship, remembering the deep relationship. We are here, um, quoting Richard Wagamese now, you know, we're here because everything else is alive. 
-hmm. We know that the amount of insects on the planet has decreased about 70%. And I haven't tracked this in terms of, you know, through science, but apparently Deepak Chopra, I don't know where he got it from, said that, you know, once the insects are gone, we have about five years. Right. And that's not the only thing happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's thought between insects and and you know, loss of wetland and freshwater, loss of, of tree species and plant species. Like it's just not, it's just, it's amazing. And again, this, this concept and and you brought it up again, like this, we're all working and stressed and running around and there's, there's this distraction, right? There's this distraction from what is important as a human being and what it even means to be a human being. Um, And that has allowed us collectively to get to this place I shouldn't say allowed it it is by design right like there there's there's some design that went into creating this system the way it is and um but that being said like you say that the these deeper kind of darker times I think is what what for me coming out the other side and, and having hope um you know really comes from from that concept that we can like the only reason any of these systems exist on the planet is because human beings created them. They didn't, they, they're not natural. They don't exist without us. And so, um, you know, that means we also have the power to change them, which is really inspiring in itself. We, we, we create it, we can take it away. Like there's not, none of this is natural. It's all a figment of human imagination. And so, um, that means that we can imagine a different future and and live a different way. So, yeah, it'd be, ni- if, it'd be nice if we it'd be nice if we got there before we had to, you know, like it just it. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm kind of pissed off with the IPCC because their initial reports were conservative. They should have been calling this ages ago before we're at the like, you know, last hour or last minute, whatever it is on that clock. Um. Yeah, when listening to you, Jenna, I'm I'm thinking about um, I'm, I took a meditation class with Howie Cohen, and he talked about he said you know the most radical thing we can do is just sit. Yeah, it's it's radically profound. Yeah. You know, we're not buying anything; we're sitting with ourselves. We're always running from ourselves. We need to sit in our own muck in other in order to get through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and live with that that thinking, right? And live with what comes up for us in that space because you're that exactly what you said. We're kind of we're always running from something, and we're running to consumerism we're running to stories that are created to keep us in this space um and yeah we're running from what we need to do in that moment to to really create a positive future and so um yeah that is extremely profound and I think about this the way that we have become and the way that our work and our lives have have demanded us to be and um it's really hard to just sit 
like I, you know, I think about even in myself, I used to be so much better at it, like so much better at it. I, I, you know, could do yoga for two hours and never be distracted by anything. I can, I, I struggled to do yoga consistently for a half an hour or 45 minutes. What changed? What is different than, than was my yoga practice 10 years ago. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think it's important to, to, again, the sitting and reflecting with that. And I don't know that I've articulated that out loud before, but yeah, you know, 10 years ago, I could practice yoga for, for hours and not be distracted. And now it seems like I really have to, you know, hunker down to, to do a half an hour, 40 minutes and not be distracted by, oh, I should be checking this or I should, oh, has anybody called or, oh, did I miss something work related? And it's just, yeah, it's, it's crazy how we've, gotten to that point yeah I love that you're bringing that up actually because um, I'm really interested in the plasticity of the brain and this relates to what you were talking about um, how we create our worlds Um, and also the worlds create us and then we continue to create the world how the world is asking to be created Mm -hmm. and you know not being able to sit and focus that is, um, again, going back to screens, there's so many things in this one place and the feeling that we have to answer emails right away. We have to take this call. We have to respond to that text. Oh, we have to tell this person this thing. Um, it's training the brain to move in these little clips constantly. And so we actually need to bring that, bring that back. You know, I actually realized this in my own self when I first got my job, because I would be on a, on an email and then there would be reason to link to something else. And then, oh, reason to link for something else. And then half an hour later, I'd be finishing that email. And I just said to myself, no, I I can tell how this is affecting me. I'm doing one thing at a time. And sometimes I'll group things as well. But also in terms of the future, like every single thing we do, every single thing we think creates the future. Mm -hmm. So understanding again, going back to relationship, um, which is like at the core of indigenous ways of knowing and being with nature. Um, Going back to relationship and get, you know, go getting linking back to sustainability, which is the, you know, the theme of the podcast I think the way to start, if someone's looking to start, how can I be more sustainable, is to just spend some time sitting, spend some time thinking, spend some time really tracing back and forward your our relationship with this planet. And then once we have that more deeply inside ourselves, then we get to think, okay, well, if I, if I you know, just behave um, carelessly, how is that affecting, you know, the people who I'm in relationship, the non-human and human people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's, then you just, then we end up finding, finding ways. I mean, it's, there's so much out there, right. To guide us, but it really, it can't be something that someone's forcing us to do because then we're like, you know, the kid, locked in their room because our parent wants to ground us for doing something right. That needs to be coming from within as a gesture of responsibility, respect, and giving back. 
someone asked me, I'm a vegetarian. And someone said, um, you know, what about eating plants? And I'm really even more and more becoming um, aware, especially because now I'm connected to a community garden um, and I go and I pick that carrot and that carrot is alive when I'm cutting it and eating it. And so if I'm going to eat a, a live being, if I'm going to eat any being, um, I need to be the best human that I can be as a way to give back because those plants, they know what their role is, but I'm, I'm consuming them mm-hmm. and we're, we're consuming everything on the planet. It's, it's so out of hand. <laughs> so mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you just said around, you know, sitting, you know, sitting and, and sitting in nature. Um, what, what episode number are we on now? I think this is 35. Uh, yeah. Um, the very first podcast I, I chatted with them. Um, uh, Megan, who works with the Saskatchewan Environmental Society, and and she she brought up that subject of um, actually in this exact question, you know, like what advice would you give folks who who you know are looking for a way to to be more sustainable or live more sustainably? And and she said that she said exactly similar to what you said, but go go find somewhere to sit in the trees or in a native grassland. And, and, you know, she said, that doesn't mean you have to drive somewhere and go camping. That means you could walk down your street and find a patch of grass and a path and a tree beside it um, and just sit there and, and listen and observe and notice the insects and notice the birds and notice the wind and notice the sun or not, or, you know, and, and notice those types of things. And it, it's interesting that, you know, 35 or so weeks later, we're coming back to the same same conversation around sitting and being in nature as a, as a starting point and yes there's obviously lots that we we need to do but if if everyone on the planet could do that a little bit more i think in general we would probably be in a much better a much better place so yeah i would i just would like to add to that too because i also think within that sitting in nature we who have been saturated with western ways of being in the world need to get out of that perspective and so often we can sit in that nature place and still feel separate or think we are separate. And so there's ways to practice connecting so that we can see, we, you know, we go into and sit in with some trees, we're moving into their community. So we need to ask permission. And when we ask permission, it right away uh, symbolizes a relationship. It symbolizes respect. And um, sit, you know, sip beneath a tree and do all those things that Megan was um, talking about. But also remember that uh, we're sitting in a community. It's a non-human community. And then when we look around and we see, for example, a pine cone, and we study that pine cone and the architecture within that pine cone that was created by the tree over time, that is reflective of the tree's intelligence, figuring out the best way to propagate, to have children. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. so many, and when you start to look into it, there's so many things that trees alone, plants, like they do in relationship with the other non-humans in their community. 
And to, to see that intelligence is incredible. And it, those kinds of things help me understand more and more what it means to be a human, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Sarah. I think that's something I'm, I'm going to take away from this conversation as, as a reminder is, is, you know, not, not just sitting there, but um, you know, the asking for permission piece, I think is a really good, good reminder. And in terms of, you know, actionable things related to, to reconciliation and pulling ourselves out of this, this Western centric way of way of existing on the planet is, is that it's, it's a very simple thing, but um, the, the trees, the grass, the water doesn't exist for my sitting there. Um, it, it, yeah. And so being able to, to humbly ask for that permission and, 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 and like you say, be observant of the intelligence that has gone into the things around us. And again, yeah, it's very easy to, to sit there and, and still you can spend all the time in nature in the world and, and still believe that nature exists for your pleasure or enjoyment or benefit or, or, or whatever, which is such a Western centric, um, way of, of being and thinking and which has, you know, gotten us to this exact point where we are, um, whether we recognize it or not. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, and that's such a good, good takeaway for our listeners and, and even for me to, to be reminded of that as well. So, um, yeah, thank you. And I'm sure this conversation, Sarah, I feel like we should, we should have another one of these because I think these, um, you know, these conversations where we're not talking about a particular subject or trying to achieve some particular goal um, or answer questions is, is really important from a reflection perspective. And I haven't necessarily had many had many guests on the podcast so far where where we've had more of a reflective, open conversation like this. So um, so thank you. And thank you for taking the time to, to chat with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Well, I'm honored that you asked and I'm so happy to be able to reflect with you and also appreciate all the work that um, you and Sage Sustainability are doing. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.